0: All right, let's um let's take our bibles and uh, I have a message prepared for you this morning. And we are going to go to Luke chapter 9 and if you would turn there, please. Luke chapter 9, and we will be reading, or begin reading there, rather, at verse 57. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading at verse 57. And I want to ask you the question this morning, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to follow Jesus, or can we do better? Is it really worth it? As they were walking along the road, and we're talking about Jesus and his disciples. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first... That's an important word there. First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, and there is that word again, first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Is it really worth it? A number of years ago, I, I served on the, the national board of our Baptist General Conference of Canada. And once a year, we would have, usually in February, we would hold board meetings in, in the lower mainland of B.C. Now, uh, the thinking was that they would get the rest of us guys off the prairies out of the winter and bring us down to what, when I lived in B.C., we called that lower part beyond hope or lotus land. And, and take us down there, and we would meet on the campus of Trinity Western University in Langley and and uh, get out of the snow, although, frankly, I much prefer the snow and, and 30 below weather to rain and fog. But at any rate, so um, one year we decided uh, we'd saved up a little bit of money, and, and I thought, you know what? Uh, one of the guys that, that was part of that the organization at the time could get deals on hotels and so I phoned him up and I said, Hey, can you get us a deal on a nice hotel in Vancouver? We'll bring Kathy along and Kathy and I we've got to fly down there anyway and and so we'll pay the extra airfare for Kathy and we'll stay a couple of nights if you can get us a good rate in a hotel. So he got us a really good rate at at a five star, however many stars there are hotel in Vancouver. It was a great hotel, like like and, and had a revolving restaurant on a roof right on the waterfront there, you know, right next to Stanley Park, wonderful place to be. And we had kind of checked the place out when we found out when we were staying. We kind of checked the place out online a little bit and looked at the menu uh, that was in the revolving restaurant, and whoo, it was a little steep for, you know, we're a couple of hillbillies from, no, you don't have, you can't have a hillbilly from Saskatchewan where it's flat. By the way, it's getting really stuffy in here. Would you turn those, those are those air exchangers on? Gary, is that one on beside you there? Can you click that? Click that switch all the way over, on high. Perfect. Anyway, so so we're a couple of bush, bun- no prairie bunnies from Saskatchewan, <laughs> um, and we thought, man, that's a little steep. And so we thought, well, we'll go there for dessert one night. Like you know, we have the ambiance. I mean, like like we're from the flatlands of Saskatchewan. Like you know, you go there, and and we get. First night in the hotel, there's a knock on our door about eight thirty, nine 9 o'clock, and I open the door, and there's a hotel employee there, and she says, turn down service. And I said, what? And Kathy didn't have a clue what that meant, turn down service. I'd never had that in my life. When I go camping with Richard and Curtis and some of these other guys, nobody turns my bed down for me and leaves the chocolate on my pillow. And frankly, Richard, I'm glad you never did. But you know, this ladies there's saying turn down service, and uh, and I kind of uh, no thanks. You know, we're okay. Well, would you like the chocolate? Sure. You know, so we. So now, now we're much more sophisticated. So we went when we went on this cruise um, with our kids here a year or so ago down in the Caribbean. Um, the beds were turned down for us before we got back to our cabins, and the. You know, the chocolates were on the pillows. So we knew what it was by then. But anyway, so, so one night we decided, okay, well, here's this fancy restaurant, and, and we've been eating out, so let's go up to the top floor to this revolving restaurant and have, at least have dessert. So we did. Took the elevator all the way up to the top floor, and we stood at the doorway of this revolving restaurant, and they had a menu board outside, and we looked at that, and we looked at what it would cost just to have a cup of coffee and dessert. And, and we looked at that and we figured out what it would come to. And we looked at each other and asked ourselves, is it really worth it? Is this something that we want to spend our money on? Like we had, we, we would have had the money to do it. Is this something that we really want to spend our money on? And so we decided against that, and we turned around, went back to the elevator, out the lobby, and asked the doorman at the big doors there, where's a the cheap place to eat? And he sent us to some other place that was still too pricey. And uh, so we found a little basement joint and ate for seven bucks for the two of us. And <laughs> cheap Saskatchewan people. <laughs> But sometimes you go somewhere and you ask yourself the question, is it really worth it? And you may be able to afford it, but you ask yourself, is it really worth it? And we've probably all made purchases that we've regretted later. I used to have a habit of Of buying new cars. I wouldn't keep a car very long and I'd buy a brand new car and then a little while later I'd see another brand new car that caught my fancy and so I'd pile one loan on top of another and a third loan on top of that and we got ourselves into quite a little financial pickle that we thankfully got out of. But what about Christianity? Is it really worth it? We're expected to deny ourselves to let Jesus direct our lives. We're expected that we're going to let Jesus take us places where we wouldn't normally go. And then at the end, what do you have? What do you have when it's all over? When you sacrifice your life, you give everything to serve Jesus. What do you have at the end of your life? Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it, or would we be better off walking away and living life as we see fit? Now, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you can't look back. You can't keep looking back, but we do. And the reality is that we're, we're in between these two worlds, and we get tugged back and forth. And sometimes what seems like a good idea turns into a big deal. Like this man who said to Jesus, foxes, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place place to lay his head. In other words, if you follow me, you're probably not going to build up a lot of treasure on earth. Now the Bible doesn't say it, but the man turned away from Jesus. That was just too big a price to pay. And so Jesus turned to another man and he said, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. My dad's old. I need to take care of him. I have obligations. First, he said. See, Jesus wants first place in our lives. Sometimes we put someone or something else before Jesus. The man said, first Let me go and bury my father. And Jesus' response to that was, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, first, Lord, before I follow you, first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Some of you are farmers. How do you plow a straight line? Henry, don't look back. I was told, and I tried that, you know, and, and I was told to line up a tree or something with, with the hood of the tractor with the fuel cap or whatever, a radiator cap on the tractor, and to follow. I still made a curved line. And the story is told of a guy like back in the days when they were plowing with mules. He said, you pick a tree, and put that tree between the mule's two ears. And he said, you, you look at that tree. So the farmer hired a new hand. And he said, you know, he said, you, you pick something, put it between the mule's two ears, and you follow that. And the farmer went out to check on his hands, and, and that, that furrow curved all over the field. And he said, what happened here? Well, he said, I put the neighbor's cow in between the mule's two <laughs> But if you keep looking back, you can't plow a straight line. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You see, we tend to look back all the time. And we often forget what is back there. Do you remember the story of the Israelites in the land of Egypt? They went to Egypt, Jacob and his family. There were 70 people, seven zero people in all went to Egypt. Later on, they're somewhere between one and a half and two and a half million strong. They're enslaved by the pharaohs. They're, they're making bricks. They're, they're doing menial labor and, and brutally oppressed. And they cry out for this deliverer. And so God sends them Moses. And after that whole series of plagues, they walk out of Egypt with Egypt's treasures, go through the Dead Sea, the Red Sea, go through the Red Sea, out onto dry land, and where are they now? They're in the desert. There isn't a whole lot of McDonald's or Timmy's or or any of those things in the desert. And so they started looking back. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter, pardon me, Exodus chapter uh, 16, I believe it is, 16 and verse 3. Verse 2 in that chapter said, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Then, verse 3, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread for you. And so God sent them. Manna, But later on in the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 16, or chapter 11, pardon me. They're looking back to Egypt again. Numbers chapter 11. They're looking back to Egypt. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. God is providing them with manna. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. We had it so good in Egypt. Oh, if we could only go back there, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. For us. and we look back and sometimes looking back seems like a good idea you know the story of Lot and his wife how Abraham and Lot separated and Lot took the choicest of, choic- of the choicest and moved with his family down in the plain of Jordan and, and lived in the city of Sodom Finally, the angels, it was a city of tremendous wickedness. Finally, the angels came to them and said, it's time to leave. But they were hesitant, the Bible said. Why were they hesitant? Because they had a good life there. They had everything going for them. So finally, they left. And you know the story how Lot's wife turned around and looked back turned into a pillar of salt. One little kid heard that story in Sunday school and said, that's nothing. My mom looked back once, turned into a telephone pole. (laughs) But we look back. When I was in Bible college in Three Hills, Alberta, my first year there, I remember we had to go to, we had, it was supposed to be a a day off, but it turned into a day of prayer meetings where we had to sit in pews for all day long. And I, I said to one of my buddies, who was a, I was a freshman, he was a senior. And I had just come out of trucking, and I said to my buddy, I said, you know what, I need to get out of here. I can smell diesel burning. And he said to me, you need to stop smelling diesel burning and start smelling souls burning in hell. So I went through three years of Bible school and I pastored for a couple of years. Then I wound up, but even when I was a pastor, every truck that went by as I was driving down the road on the highway, every truck i would have to check it out in my rearview mirror. I knew what kind of engines those trucks had just by smelling their exhaust. I'd roll down the window, oh, he's got one of those. And I kept looking back, and I kept thinking of the money that I used to make, the checks that I used to get. And I thought, if only I could go back to that. I don't make enough money as a pastor. I should go back trucking again. And so I tried it out. I was a pastor, I thought, well, maybe if I could haul one load a day for somebody, maybe I could moonlight, and I tried that, and it didn't work either. I looked back, kept looking back, and my furrow was getting crooked. And the reality is that this world has an almost irresistible attraction for us and for those we care about, and we need to live in this world without being of the world, But it's difficult not to have treasures on earth when that's all we see. You see, when Jesus says, follow me, it's an adventure. You don't know where that's going to take you. You and I like to have things laid out for us for the most part. This year I lost my motorcycle. It's gone. But we've had the privilege and I've had the privilege of making many trips down into the Western and and Southern United States. And you know, I've heard people say to me so often, man, I wish I could go on a trip like that. Well, you can. You know, and these were guys that already had motorcycles. I wish I could go on a trip like that. Well, just, you know, grab your gear and come along with us. No. Well, where are we going to sleep? I don't know. Where are we going to eat? I don't know. Like, where are we going to camp? I don't know. What's the weather going to be like? I don't know. Like, what if we break down? Well, I don't know. We'll worry about it when we get there. And it's it's one of those things, and people say, well, that sounds like a really good idea, and it sounds like it would be a good time, but there's, there's just too many unknowns, and so I'm going to stay in Nipuan, and you can go down to Colorado or California or Utah or wherever it is that you go. And because you're hesitant, you know, we've had the privilege of, some of the guys here and, and I have had the privilege of seeing some absolutely marvelous, marvelous sights. But you've got to get on the bike. You've got to throw your gear on the bike. And you've got to leave town if you're going to do that. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to follow him. You can't just say, well, first I need to take care of this. First I need to take care of that. And Jesus doesn't mince a whole lot of words. If you're still in Luke, turn over to Luke chapter, turn over. I've got to be careful of saying that. I don't want you to turn over. I want you to turn to. To Luke chapter 14. You see, for many people, Christianity is something that you add to an already busy life. It's like taking on a part-time job or something, you add it to a life that's already busy. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, the Bible says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. There's a cost involved in following Jesus. It's not something that you add to an already busy life following Jesus is your identity. It demands an entire reordering of Christ or of your priorities. Can you be a part-time Christian? Probably not. Lots of us try I tried it for years. You're miserable. And so Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, verse 28. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees him will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down? and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. See, there's a cost involved. And you ask yourself, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I think it is. Now, that's my own personal opinion, but let's see what the Bible has to say. We're going to, to start in Mark. We're going to go to Revelation. So um, page along with me. Start in Mark chapter 10. Is it really worth it? Mark chapter 10, verse 29. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields from me in the gospel here's the deal, we will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mother, children, fields, and by the way, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Is it worth it? I think so. Let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Let's start there at verse 7. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say, to the, what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. By the way, the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. So was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God turfed them from the garden so that they wouldn't have access to the tree of life. The tree of life disappears from the pages of Scripture from Genesis until Revelation 22 passage we read earlier this morning. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Jesus is going to give you and me a new name. No idea what that is. I'm curious. I'm really curious because I know it'll be, it's not just, well, you can be Bob, you know. Sorry, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can be George, or you can be Jim, or you can be, you know, I like, God is going to give me a new name, and it's going to mean something. I don't know if my mom and dad realize the name they give me. I'm named after my grandfather, and we're named after Prince William of Orange, who was who was the the big guy in Holland. But you know, my wife is named after the Empress of Russia. But my name means strong protector. Her name means pure one. Uh, I think they they came out in good names. But but um, Jesus is going to give us a new name. Um, Verse 26, same chapter. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Um, And then verse 28, I will also give him the morning star. Uh, Chapter 3 and verse 5. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Isn't that cool? Verse 12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. So Jesus is going to have a new name. We're going to have a new name. Verse 21, same chapter. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then to chapter 21, second last chapter in the Bible. Chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Verse 22, same chapter. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then into chapter 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Here it is again. It disappears in Genesis chapter 3. Here it is in Revelation 22. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and all the, le- and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Yeah. And how do I know it's going to turn out that way? Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's how I know this is true. If you can disprove the resurrection, it all crumbles, falls, done, dust. But because Jesus rose from the dead, I know that it's true. You need to ask yourself the question, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? But is it really worth it also to make a bad decision? You know, we can make a bad financial decision, and we can recover from that. And it might not be worth what we get out of it, but we can recover from that. You can make bad decisions in terms of wisdom. You can get addicted to alcohol or drugs or prescription and non-prescription drugs. You can get involved in criminal behavior and wind up in jail. You can wind up killing someone. Or you can make a bad moral decision. And sometimes, you know, what I've done is when I'm faced with a decision that I know is going to be a bad decision, I make myself a mental checklist and say, what, is, what would happen? If I make this decision, what, what are the possible consequences of making this decision? And I need to ask myself the question, is it really worth it? Do I really need that $100,000 Corvette? Yes, I do, hon. Um, and, and if we can't talk about the Corvette, I can get a motorcycle for about a third of that, okay? So, um, you know, but sometimes we make bad decisions. And, and, and figuring out what the cost is helps us to formulate that decision. Am I going to go through with this? What could this potentially mean? if I go through with this. But the good decision is, if I follow Jesus, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to give up everything on this world? Jesus said, if you don't put me first, don't first me with something else. He said, it's me? and The guy said, well, first let me go do this, or first I want to do that. Jesus said, no. It's all or nothing. If you want to follow me, follow me. And let me worry about this other stuff. Is it really worth it? I think so. Now, talk to me in 30 or 40 years or whatever many years I'm going to be around because um, I'm I'm hoping that we'll have this conversation when we're in heaven. And You know, was it worth it? I think so. Hey, I think it'll be worth it. Lord Jesus, thank you for Go there ahead of us. You told us that you were going to prepare a place for us so that we can, when you come back, you would take us to be with you. Father, I really think it will be worth it all. So please help us to run the race, to live for Christ, to follow him wherever he takes us, to meet you and to spend eternity with you in glory. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.